The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. love that song because it challenges us to maintain a steadfast commitment to that cornerstone. We're going to be starting the book of Daniel, and in the book of Daniel, we're going to see the, the storms of darkness, the, the gales of life, and how Daniel maintains that steadfastness in the cornerstone and that sovereign God. So let me pray as we begin this new study. God, thank you. Thank you for this incredible song that just helps us to focus on the necessity of standing firm within the veil on that cornerstone in the midst of darkness, in the midst of gales, in the midst of the storms. Lord, we can have confidence as we trust exclusively in Christ. So open your word now to us as we begin this new study in the book of Daniel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just finished the first of the major prophets, the book of Isaiah, and now we're going to jump to the last of the major prophets, the book of Daniel. So we're going to get to see a whole spectrum of Israel's history, and uh, Daniel is, without a doubt, an individual who lived an uncompromising life, and uh, his, whenever I think of his life, I think of the little song that perhaps your kids sang years ago in Sunday school, Dare to be a Daniel. It actually came from a revivalist hymn that was sung back in the middle of the 1800s. It goes like this, Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare uh, to make it known. When I was going through Dallas Seminary, I had two professors. Both of them were psychiatrists, Dr. Paul Meyer, Dr. Frank Minrath. And, and both of them said that of all the characters in the Bible, with the exclusion of Jesus, of course, uh, Daniel was the most balanced of all the individuals mentioned in the Bible. Uh, that there's no f mention of a flaw in his life. It doesn't mean he was perfect because he confesses his own sin uh, later in the book, but we don't see any big flaws coming out in his life. His character was never impeached. We find that he was a man who talked with angels. He had visions of God, and the very words of the Lord God Almighty were actually spoken in his presence. I, there, there's one section in Daniel that gives us a beautiful picture of how people outside of the church viewed him. He had a tremendous degree of respect. He spoke to many kings, but I love the testimony uh, during the time of King Darius. Uh, it says this in Daniel 6, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. There was no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So why was Daniel so special? What made him so unique? What made him uh, just this type of individual that had such an impact on for such a long, long span of time, uh, even in the lives of many kings. Let me give you the theme of his life. We'll see this repeated over and over uh, through the book of Daniel. The theme of his personal life was that Daniel faithfully stands in the sovereignty of God. That's that cornerstone. He faithfully stands in the sovereignty of God in the midst of a culture that's harsh and constantly changing. 
the, the book, though, is far more than just about a faithful prophet. This is a book about an incredibly faithful God. So what I'd like to do now is to give you the, the thesis of the entire book of Daniel. And we're going to see this thesis repeated in every single chapter of the book of Daniel. Here's the thesis of the book. I know it's a little bit wordy. It's in your, it's in your outline. But you're going to see every element of this thesis repeated throughout the entire book of Daniel. Our sovereign God overrules in the affairs of both men and nature. Therefore... The logical outcome of a situation is not necessarily the outcome that's going to happen. Therefore, we should be encouraged to courageously stand firm and obey God in the midst of the pressures and the uncertainties of life, those are those stormy gales, and humbly leave the results in the hands of the one who knows and controls the future. You know, this is an interesting book because it was written during the worst times of Israel's history, during the seven years of 70 years of captivity. And yet we find a guy who stands courageously and uncompromisingly in hope against uh, the worst possible odds in the worst of all situations. So the book is about, it's not about, it's 12 chapters long. And the first six chapters of the book really teaches us how to live in the world as a believer in a world uh, that really uh, wants to change you really bad. But uh, it teaches us how to have an impact on the world as a change agent. Okay, then the final six chapters really give us hope for the coming kingdom. Those are the prophetic sections. Um, there's a lot of prophecies throughout, but the last six really hone in on the, on the prophecy. Uh, Dr. Uh, Walvard professor at Dallas Seminary, the president of Dallas Seminary, said it's really the keyhole of all biblical prophecy. And he says, if, if you can understand uh, pro prophecy through the keyhole of Daniel, you will understand the rest of civilization. You'll be able to understand what's going on uh, today in our world uh, today. So it's, it'll be fun. We'll actually summarize those last six chapters just in one week. So it's not like we'll be week after week going through this. Uh, but the first six we'll take individually. It's be very, very inspirational. Um, so as I went through this, I thought, wow, Daniel is a picture of a perfect disciple. I mean, Old Testament, obviously, but it's a picture of a perfect disciple. And a lot of times, like even in staff meetings, we'll, we'll struggle with, well, how do you define a disciple? What really is a disciple? So from the book of Daniel, I worked pretty hard at getting a definition of what a disciple is. Now, again, this is from the book of Daniel, but here's a definition of a disciple. A disciple is an obedient, submissive follower of Yahweh, uh, Yahweh Adonai, or, or God, Jehovah placed by God to live in an unbelieving context while unflinchingly placing his or her hope in God who promises a final glorious kingdom while effectively living in the world as a change agent until that kingdom takes place. So what we're going to find out in the book of Daniel is Daniel's not just going to, well, I'm just going to sort of tolerate Babylon until, you know, God can take me home to glory. That's not Daniel at all. I mean, Daniel is saying, no, I'm going to thrive in Babylon. And my desire is not just to make it until I make it get to heaven. It's my desire is to bring heaven down to earth. I want to I be a change agent here in Babylon. Right now, 
God's got a plan for the future. He's going to see that through. But whatever I'm going through, I'm going to be a change agent for God's glory right now. That's exactly what we see. Matter of fact, we're going to have the opportunity for those of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus. We, someday we will. The, the fruition of Daniel will take place and we will get to, to be in heaven uh, with the Lord. We'll, we'll get to meet Nebuchadnezzar. You know why we're going to get to meet Nebuchadnezzar? One of the greatest uh, tyrannical despots <laughs> who ever reigned on earth. It's because Daniel witnessed to him. Be, because he, would, in our view, he became a Christian. Uh, he turned to God uh, because, because of Daniel. It's interesting as well. When, when you read the story of Christmas, you hear the wise men in the east who saw the star. So they knew that a king was being born. You know, the whole picture of the Messiah. Now, where did they get that from? They got it from, if they heard it, now I'm supposing, but the only thing I can imagine is that they had to get it from the teaching of Daniel about the star. And so the wise men come uh, to look for the Christmas star. So Daniel was a witness to the Christmas star. Well, let me give you a setting for the book of Daniel. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, they came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Folks, listen. When you think of stormy gales, when you think of hard times, when you think of tough times, this was the hardest time in the entire history of Israel. The three worst things that could possibly happen to, to a, a Jew, to an Israeli, to Jerusalem, happened right now. On the one hand, you have defeat. And I hope you notice when we read the passage, Judah did, just didn't lose to the Babylonians. God gave them to the Babylonians. So this, this was massive. God gave the Jews to the Babylonians. Defeat. Worst thing that could happen to a Jew. Not only defeat, but deportation. In Leviticus 26 and, and Deuteronomy 28, God promised that they would stay in the land unless they turned to other gods. If they turned to other gods, he said, forget this covenant of the land. I'm going to send you off into a pagan land. Deportation. It's the worst thing that could happen, that the Jews would give up their land. Defeat. Deportation. Degradation. The articles of the temple were actually taken and placed inside the temple of a pagan god. It was the worst of the worst times. What about the pressure that was on them. Let me show you the pressure to conform. Now, we're talking about being a disciple. There are a couple of things the devil could do. He's a, a murderer. He's a deceiver. He, he's a killer. Uh, a couple of things the devil could do to make us an ineffective disciple. Well, one thing he could do is just annihilate us. Just take our life. You know, <laughs> we could just die. Annihilation. Uh, that's exactly what happened to the northern kingdom. That's what happened with Assyria. When Assyria came in and took the northern kingdom, he, Ashurbanipal, all those guys, just annihilated the northern kingdom. I talked about that in gruesome detail two weeks ago. You can get the tape. Uh, but, I mean, it was just 
radical, total annihilation of the people, of the animals, of the vineyards, of the trees. And after they were done burning everything, they took, took salt from the Dead Sea and, and covered salt over all the land so it would never reproduce again. Total annihilation. The other way to make a disciple ineffective is to assimilate them, to neutralize their effectiveness by assimilating them into the culture. This is exactly what the Babylonians did. We'll convert them, so to speak. And so why kill them? Why annihilate them? Let's convert them to pick up our cause. We'll just help them to become like us. And so that's what they did. So when they came in, obviously there was a war, but then they took the, the best of the best. They took young boys, 13, 14 years of age, and they said, you know what? Let's make them our missionaries. Let's, let's uh, immerse them in our culture, and let's uh, turn them for our cause. So in other words, like in athletics, you would say, let's, Let's find the, the blue chip, the blue chip athletes. If you're from Kelowna, you would say, well, let's find the cow chips. Let's find the best of the best. And so they would take those and then they would begin to immerse them in their culture. They would brainwash them, immerse them, convert them, unleash them as Babylonian uh, missionaries or emissaries. That, we see that in verses 3 to 7. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of, the men, some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature, the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So basically what they're trying to do, instead of annihilation, let's assimilate them. Let's help them become just like us. And this is exactly the plight of what can happen to the effectiveness of disciples of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest encouragements in all of the New Testament is for us not to be assimilated back into the world. So Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. James chapter 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is exactly, I think, what we face in the world today as believers is that our effectiveness gets compromised because we become just like the world around us. There's so much pressure. Notice the strategy for assimilation. We're going to teach these boys the literature and the theological and the philosophical uh, positions of Babylon. We're going to take Moses out of their hands. We're going to take Isaiah out of their hands. And instead, we're going to give them the Gilgamesh epic. We're going to remove Hebrew 
And instead, we're going to teach them Akkadian. We're going to give them the best of Babylonian cuisine, and we're going to give them jobs that work directly for the king. We're going to change their identity. We're going to give them Babylonian names. And so for Daniel, whose name means God is judge, we're going to give him the name Belteshazzar, or in other words, Bel, one of the Baals. Bel will protect your life. And the same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what you see then is an intellectual, academic, philosophical, theological, physical, and personal shift. In other words, the pressure to conform was absolutely intense. How did Daniel navigate this? How can we be in the world and make a difference in the world but at the same time not be of, First John 2, of the world. How can we be in the world and have a profound impact like Daniel and yet draw lines where we need to draw lines? So in other words, how can we live faithfully in an extremely challenging culture? Folks, this is the challenge for 2016 in Iowa City, Iowa. How can we live faithfully as effective change agents for Jesus Christ and still be in the world and make that difference. We find in this passage six things that, will, um, that can help us live as a believer in the world and yet not be of the world and make a huge difference for the kingdom of God. First is conviction, maintain conviction and do not compromise. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. So this really is a, king, is a play on words. The king's food defiles. The, the world says, hey, this food, this is the best of the best. Actually, it was food that was sacrificed to idols. Okay, that was the king's food was all the food that was sacrificed to idols. This is the best of the best. This is the top tier of food. And Daniel says, no, it's not the best of the best. This is a food that will defile me. But notice it says that he resolved. He determined ahead of time. He made up his mind. Dan and what allowed him to be in the world as a disciple is that he was very agreeable to the things that didn't violate his convictions. He took the name. The name wasn't a big deal. There's nothing wrong about taking the name. So he took the name. Uh, that was fine. Uh, he took the job working for the, for the king, you know, for Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the entire globe. Took the job working for him. He learned the literature. Look. We're going to find out he learned it 10 times better than everybody else. He learned the literature. He learned the language. The, the one thing he refused to do was to bow his knee to another god. By eating the food, and the, by eating the food that was sacrificed to idols was designed to symbolically bring that person into fellowship with Baal. He said, nope, can't do that. Not going to do that. I'll learn your language. I'll learn it better than anybody else. I'll take the job. I'll work harder than everybody else. I'll learn the language. I'll, I'll learn the culture. I'll learn your traditions. 
I'll do all of that. I'll be the hardest, best worker you will ever find, but I'm not going to bow my knee. I'm not going to bow my knee. Uh, He just resolved not. So if we're going to make a difference as a disciple, being in the world yet not of the world, we make that that determination. I have that conviction. I'm not going to compromise. There are a lot of things I'm going to do better than everybody else in the world, but I'm not going to bow my knee to another God, to another idol. I'm going to maintain my convictions, my standards. I'm not going to compromise truth. I'm not going to cross boundaries on the negotiables, language, education, cultural appreciation, uh, name change, no problem. But when it comes to God, I'm not going to bow my knee to another God. Folks, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have that option every single day. If you work for a business, if you own a business, if you are a man and woman in any kind of business, you have to decide ahead of time where are those boundaries. You are not going to compromise certain things. You'll be the best worker they have, but you will refuse to do certain things. You're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to compromise. As a student, it means the same thing. There are activities you will engage in and you will be the best as you engage in those activities. You'll be the hardest working student that that school could ever find, but there are certain things you will not compromise with. You will not bow your knee to those things. As a mom or a dad, you will resolve as a parent, I'm going to raise my kids. I'm going to train my kids. I'm going to spend time with my kids. And I am going to resolve that if I have to say no to other things, I'm going to say no to other things to maintain that priority. I'm going to resolve ahead of time to keep that commitment. If I'm a husband, if I'm a, a wife in a marriage, we're going to resolve Will there be difficulties? Absolutely. But you're going to resolve to work through those hard times, to love them and respect them and support them. If you're a high school boy and you're getting ready to go on a date, you're going to resolve ahead of time how you're going to treat that young lady. And as a high school girl, you're going to resolve ahead of time when you are going to say no, hands off. If you're a member of a local church, that means you resolve to love and to treat each other with grace, to worship openly, to fellowship eagerly, to give sacrificially, and to serve wholeheartedly. You resolve ahead of time. I'm not going to compromise on those things. And to resolve not to compromise may mean you'll lose a date. It may mean you'll lose your job. It may mean you'll suffer loss or lose money or disappoint a friend. You might even flunk a test. It may mean you even die. But by refusing to compromise, you won't lose your honor. You lose your honor 
You no longer glorify God. If you don't glorify God, you, you, you lose the ability to be a change agent, an effective witness for Jesus. It's gone. You can live with very little food. You can live with very little water. You can live with just a few articles of clothing and in a pretty small house. But let me tell you, you cannot live without your honor. You're dead. You're dead. As a believer, as a witness, you're dead. This is, folks, this is why. You come to church. This is why you come and worship. This is why you, you sing to God. This is why you're in a community group supporting one another. This is why you read your Bible. This is why you pray. This is why you study. This is why you listen to a message. I love Psalm 59. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Boy, don't we need that. Listen, when it gets difficult and hard out there in the world and your beliefs will bring you into a moral clash, and they will, they will, Folks, that's awesome. Maybe God has taken months to get you to the position of a moral clash, but it is then, at that moment, in that moment in time, that's your chance, like Daniel, to shine. That's your chance to make a difference. That's your chance to maintain your honor. You can't back off from that. To back off from that is to lose the very opportunity God's been designing especially for you. Lose your job. Lose your money. Lose a friend. But don't lose your honor. You lose that, you lose the ability to glorify God, and you lose the ability to be an effective disciple. Conviction. But notice this. I, this. I love Daniel. You, know, you hear these little philosophical, not philosophical, but psychological uh, words that try and peg people in, in certain positions. They say, well, some people are teachers. Some people are, are more prophetic. And, and the people in prophetic just sort of tell it how it is, and they're abrasive, and they're, and they're sort of repulsive to other folks, and they give that term prophetic. That's not Daniel at all. I mean, Daniel does take a firm stand. He refuses to compromise. Even if he burns up, we'll see that. Even if a lion eats him, that's fine with him. But notice the next thing. It's not just refusing to compromise, that conviction, but it's also civility. Civility as he honors those around him. Verse 8. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Did you notice how Daniel, he's not harsh with his beliefs. He doesn't give people a reason to recoil. 
Daniel is incredibly gracious with his beliefs. He doesn't compromise them, but he's very gracious with his beliefs. 1 Peter 2, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Paul said to Timothy, proton panton. He said, Timothy, this is first among firsts, top priority. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. You've got to be civil. It, it's not that you are a pain. A lot of people who refuse to compromise are also a pain in the dorsal fin to others with their truth, with their stance. I mean, they are so abrasive with other people. But that's not Daniel at all, at all. Uh, if we're abrasive, if we're harsh with our truth, then we become the argumentum ad hominem, the ad hominem argument. In other words, it's, our, it's not that the values, it's not that what we're saying is wrong, but it's just that our personality, our character is rebutting our very argument. So they blow the argument off because of our character. We've given them an argumentum ad hominem, a reason just to blow it all off. So Daniel was in conflict. There's no doubt about it. He held many different opinions throughout this book. He refused to compromise but he was still incredibly civil, incredibly polite, and he won the favor of the steward. Thirdly, conviction, civility, faith, to trust in God and not compromise. Verse 9. I love this. It says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. Because Daniel was, was committed to putting his faith on the line, Daniel was willing to maintain his convictions, not compromise his convictions, but at the same time have an attitude of civility. We see now God moving in favor and with compassion in the life of Daniel. Just like Proverbs 21, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wills. That's what God did in the life of, the, of Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch. I think when we put ourselves in a position of demanding the necessity of divine intervention, that's when we find out who God is. You see, you lose your chance to shine by not trusting God for divine intervention. Likewise, you lose your chance to shine, to be a change agent by being offensive rather than civil. You lose your chance to shine, to be a change agent in the world when you compromise. Fourthly, credibility. And that's when your walk matches your talk. Daniel said to the steward from among the chief of the eunuchs, who had a sign over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, says, test your servants ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. Let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
test, observe, deal. What Daniel is, is in a very civil way, challenging Asphanaz with is, hey, see if our walk doesn't match our talk. And then, hey, deal with us however you see fit. Just test us in this. Judge us in this. So, I mean, for us as believers, um, I think it's a warning for us not to just be quoting our Bible and standing on our biblical absolutes before non-Christians if our lifestyles don't back it up. You know, if our lifestyles don't back up what we're saying, it makes it very, very hard for non-Christians uh, to, to put it together. First Peter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in other words, if I want to be an effective disciple, I just can't give the ab biblical absolutes to non-Christians and live differently. What I need to also say is, hey, you know, watch me. Watch me as I handle my money. Watch me as, as I live with my wife Cheryl or, or with my six kids or 19 grandkids. Watch me as I do those things. Watch me as I relate to the opposite sex. Watch, watch, me, uh, watch me as I drive. Uh, no, forget that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, watch me as I drive. Watch me as I conduct my business. If I'm a, hey, if I'm at the University of Iowa, it's watch me as I study for tests. Watch, watch how hard I work at work. I'm going to work everybody else under the table. Just watch me. Watch me when I worship. Watch how I prioritize my time. Watch how I pray. Watch how I read my Bible. Watch how I give. Watch how I care. Fifthly, so we've seen conviction, civility, faith, credibility. Fifthly, excellence. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better. <laughs> they were better in appearance. And then verse 20, we're going to see they were 10 times better in all the education and all that other stuff. The, the cultural stuff they were supposed to learn, the education they were supposed to learn, the, the uh, Akkadian language that they were supposed to learn. They were 10 times better than everybody else. Excellence. Hey, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that should be you. What, whatever God has called you to do, you should be, uh, if God has made you a, a five-talent person, you should be five talents. Don't be three. Don't be four. Two or one. Be five You'd be excellent at that. Christians aren't supposed to be just weird or different. We are supposed to be excellent. We're a treasured possession. We lose our ability to shine if we're indifferent, if we're complacent, if we're lazy. You lose your ability to shine. Sixthly, be influential for God and others. 
you know, these four youths, God gave them learning and skill, wisdom, literature. Daniel had understanding and all kinds of visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> the king spoke with them. And among them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them. They were ten times better than everybody else. Can I just say this? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to make a difference? You want to be a change agent in the world? Not of the world, but in the world? Then expect to be influential. Expect it. Let me tell you where a lot of Christians are. You sort of want to compromise. You don't want people to know you're a Christian. You don't want to take a stand. You, you don't want to do any of that stuff because if you were to take a stand and, and, and say, I'm not going to compromise on, that, on that, those kinds of things, you're uh, going to assume if I take that kind of a stand, I will be marginalized. I'll be shuttered off into some black hole somewhere as a crazy Christian. And the interesting thing about this book is exactly the opposite took place for Daniel when he took a stand. He commits himself as a servant of God to be an effective witness, and he, he, he excelled in every area. And folks, <laughs> this book blows me away. You'll see this next week chapter 2. You know, you have a, you're having the big division, and Nebuchadnezzar's the head of gold. So in chapter 2, I don't want to give it away too much, but here he is, Nebuchadnezzar's the head of gold, and you have Nebuchadnezzar bowing down to Daniel, a captive slave. <laughs> leads, him the, leads him to God. You know, he witnesses to two other kings. Listen, his service was so long. He served for over 70 years as a prophet. It would, it would be like if we were to go back in time from right now, let's say he was still serving in the Obama administration, he'd go all the way back to FDR. Continual service from Obama all the way back to, to when Mount Rushmore was just finished. A massive influence in an incredibly heathen culture. What's it going to take? Well, choose to honor God by living a life of conviction, of civility, faith, credibility, excellence. And when you do, you will be a disciple who makes far more of an impact than you would ever dream of than if you would have compromised in order to fit in. Well, let's all stand up and I'll close with prayer. Oh God, we can still hear those words written by that revivalist. Years and years ago, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. 
God, there are a lot of challenges that we face. There's a lot of pressure from the world around us. There's a lot of pressure from Ashpenaz. There's a lot of pressure from our peers to eat the king's choice food. But we pray that you would give us the grace to know where not to bend. Help us to know what to do very well. Help us to be nice and loving and civil among people who are just like we were. So give us the grace, Lord, to trust you knowing that you're with us through all of the stormy gales, through all of the rough seas. You want to be and are our cornerstone. So give us the grace, Lord, that we'll need. Give us the grace to live our lives with excellence, that we may walk uh, in a way that it matches our talk, Lord, I just pray that you would use our lives to have a very positive influence in our culture, but in the lives of everyone around us. Lord, and we we admit to you right now, we need Shadrachs. We need Meshachs. We need Abednegoes to stand right beside us. We can't do this alone. We can't live life in a vacuum. We can't live life in isolation. We have to do it with our other brothers and sisters in Christ living in community. And it is then we can cry, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.